Psalm 19, the whole of Psalm 19. It's a bit of a spot the classic Christian song, this one, isn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The second reading comes from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, and that can be found on page 1249 of the Church Bibles. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thanks, Rosemary. Sic el enim delixit dus manum ut filium, sum urginetrum daret ut ominus credit in eum nom periet, sed habiet vitium Eternium. Do I hear an amen? Well, that is what it would have been like to hear the Bible read in the countries uh, around uh, where the ref- in Europe uh, in the 1400s. This was uh, John 3:16. I read you from the Latin Vulgate. Uh, the Bible was in Latin. 
but most people didn't speak Latin. The Bible was read in Latin, the Mass was, uh, was read in Latin, uh, but the people spoke German or English or French or where the language of the people. That's one of the significant things that came out of what we're looking at tonight. The third, or the, the third uh, key truth in the Reformation that we're picking up on, uh, Bible alone. Now, the last couple, uh, we've looked at two of them already, uh, grace alone and faith alone. How can a person be right with God? Well, it's by God's grace alone. Um, what's our part when it comes to our salvation? What part do we play? Well, faith alone. Not by works, but by faith, so that no one can boast. But the question behind those two things was, how did the Reformers know? On what basis could they say that this was the truth and not that? What convinced them? Well, God was clearly at work in them, as He is in anyone who's coming to an understanding of the truth, but humanly speaking, what did they do? They read the Scriptures. Read the the Scriptures them themselves. There were, many of them were fluent. Uh, well, many of those who were translating uh, were fluent in Hebrew and Greek and a, and a whole range of languages. They were going back to the source, as it were. And they saw differences in what the Roman Catholic Church said about the Bible and what God actually said in the Bible. And through this process of coming to the Word of God, seeing what it was saying, this third truth of the Reformation, Bible alone, uh, was, came together. How do we find Christ? Well, Scripture alone is the true place where Christ's voice is heard. Now, uh, with each of these topics that we're looking at here in the Reformation series, there's a bigger uh, sort of set of doctrine, a bigger body of knowledge that sits behind uh, what, we, what we've got time to look at. Uh, and today, it's the doctrine of Scripture. You might, you might uh, pick up a book like this. It's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, it's by a guy called uh, Jim Packer, uh, and it's called Fundamentalism and the Word of God. It's a short book about the doctrine of Scripture and what uh, we as Protestants believe uh, is the doctrine of Scripture, what the Bible says about the Bible. Um, But today, we're just going to particularly focus uh, on authority, uh, the authority that the Scriptures have, and we'll look briefly at the sufficiency and clarity of the Scriptures. You can see that on your outline uh, there. The outline's going to be helpful. Now, the heart of the issue uh, under this uh, particular Uh, catch cry, Bible alone, was that of authority. When it comes to knowing who God is and what He wants, when it comes to knowing how to live the Christian life, when it comes to how to decide what's right and wrong, what is going to be our source of authority? And, And especially when there's a conflicting opinions or ideas out there, what are we going to use to arbitrate? What will be our final or deciding or controlling authority? Now, when it comes to knowing things, today many people appeal to all kinds of authorities uh, in order to say that one thing is is true or right. But we can actually group them largely into four main categories. You'll see uh, on your your outline there's four uh, sort of boxes there uh, with letters and lines next to them. You can write them down if you'd like. 
first one, tradition. And that includes uh, human traditions, culture, but also church traditions would kind of fit into that as well. It's kind of the writings of, of, huma- of humans. Uh, then we've got, uh, on the right-hand side, we've got the Bible. Uh, two others. Uh, R for anyone? Not reading, but close. Reason, okay? Using our minds to think through things. Uh, kind of science and that kind of thing would, would fit in that category, that camp. Uh, and E, anyone? Experience. Uh, our experiences. Okay, these different things, uh, they're not isolated points as if we can say only use one of them at a time uh, when we're uh, thinking about our decisions, but they're intertwined uh, and we actually use each category with different weights. Uh, you see, when we read the Bible, um, we draw on many aspects of human tradition, don't we? Uh, firstly, well, what, what are your Bibles written in? In English, aren't they? And so the little shapes and letters and words on the page, they have meaning because of the English language, product of human culture. Uh, also, we use our experience to understand what's going on uh, in the Bible, understanding, bringing our life experiences to, to understand what, what Jesus is talking about uh, or what uh, the, the writers are talking about at that time. Tradition, experience, but we also use our reason as well. We use our reason to wrestle with what a passage means, to understand the argument in it, to see how the argument relates to the bigger section, to the letter or the book itself, to the whole Bible. We're using all of those sources of authority together. This is all right and good, but the crux of of the matter comes as to what we do when there's different sources of authority leading in different directions. What do we do when tradition says one thing but our reason says another or, or, or when the Scriptures seem to say one thing and our experience kind of leads us to think another? What's going to be the controlling source of authority? A classic example uh, to illustrate this is uh, the resurrection. Uh, as you think about the resurrection of Jesus, the Scriptures uh, in the, New, in the Gospels and the New Testament, we'll say that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what God says in the Bible. But what would the other sources of authority say? Well, my reason tells me uh, that dead things don't come back to life. Uh, there's, you know, the odd plant in our garden that I try and kill kind of again and again with the, the weed kill, but it, there it is, kind of next springtime, sprouting uh, for all glory. Um, or the tomato vine, which, you know, dies off and then back it is, reseeding itself. But generally, I think we can safely say, on the whole, dead things stay dead, especially people. Our experience also uh, is the same. I've never seen a person rise from the dead, uh, someone resurrect. Have you? Anyone? No one? Okay. Uh, but the traditions of Christianity, well, they'll say that uh, Jesus did rise from the dead bodily. Um, but we've still got that question of authority. What are we going to do with these conflicting sources of authority? Uh, well, if it was my reason or my experience that was kind of the deciding factor in one sense, then maybe I'd say, I'd end up saying, no, the, the Bible must be wrong at this point. There's some other explanation uh, for what people saw or thought they saw or what happened. On the other hand, if, if God 
God's Word in the Bible is going to be the ultimate source of authority, the controlling source of authority, then sure, I'll be using my reason, my experience, even what other people are saying about the Bible to make sure that I was reading the Bible properly and understanding it rightly. But ultimately, I would accept what the Bible said was true and write, and conclude that even though I hadn't experienced it and that it went against reason, that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. Now, understanding this question of authority uh, also helps us to understand a little bit why people, there might be different people around who say that they are they're followers of Jesus, but they have a different understanding of God or themselves or salvation or other kinds of things. It could be quite possible that they have a different controlling authority here, a different controlling authority. Now, at the time of the Reformation, uh, and indeed still today, the, the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, which is kind of a, a bit of a summary of the teachings, uh, explains that the correct interpretation of Scripture must come from the teaching offices of the Church. That is, uh, the, the, the task of interpretation has been entrusted to bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. Now, the Clearly, there's a, there's a value on God's Word there, uh, that it's important to be interpreted rightly, but can you see what the ultimate source of authority there is in those statements? What have they made their controlling source of authority? Well, it's the church traditions, isn't it? The, the bishops and the Pope, the tradition outside the Bible. And although the Roman Catholic Church traditions and teachings are in part based on the Bible and uh, the unwritten, unwritten traditions of the church, in practice, the church has a controlling function when it comes to understanding the Bible. What convinced then the reformers that the Roman Catholic Church had overreached their authority at that point? Well, it was their understanding of the authority of the Bible and that it said something different from what the church seemed to be saying. Come with me and we'll have a look at a couple of verses on this. Uh, we, 2 Timothy was read for us just recently. Open uh, your Bibles up to 2 Timothy if you haven't already got that. And we'll have a look there. And we're going to look at a couple of other passages. It's good to uh, get used to flipping in your Bibles. And so we'll do that in a minute. But let's see the source of authority for the Scriptures. Uh, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Scripture has its origin in God. Just like our breath has its origin in us, God speaks these words and on His breath is His Word. The Scripture as God's Word comes from Him. It's inspired by Him. Indeed, the Scriptures continually refer to themselves as the Word of God, the Word of the Lord. Come with me as well over to, to 2 Peter. So, if, you, if you're in 2 Timothy, flip, flip towards the back of the Bible, you see Titus and Hebrews and James, you know, maybe we're talking 20 pages or something, uh, 1 Peter and you get to 2 Peter. 2 Peter and we'll have a look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And verses 20 to 21, I remember uh, at uni, the 
the guy who was doing the Bible talks would always say when he was asking us to go to a new reference, I love to hear the rustling of pages. So it's uh, good to hear that. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 20 to 21, because that means that you're looking at the passage as well uh, and thinking about it too. So 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20. Peter saying, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, although written by the, on the hands of numerous people, God is the ultimate source of the Scriptures. It wasn't that God just dictated to them all the time, though. Uh, there are parts of the Old Testament, uh, in particular, where we see the prophets saying, thus says the Lord, and, you know, quotes, and then he starts writing what the Lord says. But that's not the way it is for the whole Bible, or, for, or even in the New Testament. I don't know if you have, your Bible has red letters in the... Uh, in the Gospels, for the words of Jesus. Uh, It's not as if those are the true words of God and the rest is not really the true word of God. No, no, the whole of Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament, is God's Word, inspired by Him. God was using the writings of human authors to be a true and effective means for His Word to be communicated. And so God's Word, the Bible, as His Word, is authoritative. That's to be the ultimate source of authority, not something else. Paul even says, even if I came along and said something different to the Gospel, then don't believe me. Come with me uh, back towards uh, the front of your Bibles to Galatians. So we go from uh, 2 Peter, back through James, Hebrews, Colossians, Philippians, if you get to Corinthians... Uh, you've gone too far. It's just the one after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 1. Have a look. Galatians chapter 1 and we'll have a look at verse 6. Paul is speaking to the Galatians and he says he's, he's astonished that they're so quickly deserting the one who called them to live, called them to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, interesting, listen to this, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, let them be eternally condemned. And just to show the force by which he's saying it, make sure that they heard him rightly, he says it again. As we've said already, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. God's word, the the gospel is true and authoritative. And even if Paul came and started saying something different, he'd say, no, don't listen to me. The gospel is God's word. And it is to be the the final authority, rather than a particular office in the church, a particular person in the church being the final authority. The final authority is the Bible, is God's Word itself, delivered to us 
by the hands of the prophets and the apostles. And now as we read it, with the Holy Spirit working in us to understand its message. Now, someone might say, James, it seems a little bit like you're using the Scriptures to justify the authority of the Scriptures. Isn't that kind of self-referencing or something? Isn't that a logical, isn't there a logical problem there? But it doesn't necessarily invalidate the claim of Scriptures. Okay? In fact, it's actually the way it needs to be for the Scriptures to be the final authority. You see, if anything other than the Bible, anything other than the Scriptures authenticates or, or, or says, yes, you know, that's the Scriptures, then that other thing becomes the final authority rather than the Scripture itself. So if God's Word is going to be the final authority, Scripture is, in a sense, yes, self-authenticating. But I do think there are other reasons, even as we read it and see a tremendous unity among these words, other, if you like, supporting reasons that help us to see that actually the claim that Scripture is self-authenticating isn't fanciful or uh, leading down the wrong path. In light of the, script, the authority of the Scriptures then, in, in church, here, in our growth groups, uh, at home, in our lives, in every part of life, we need to be submitting other things to the Bible. Now, the battle for authority back then uh, was between the Roman Catholic Church and the Scriptures, in a sense. I don't think that, that that's so much the battle that we're facing, that, that battle between traditions and the Bible. Uh, we do need to be uh, mindful that even as we come to the Bible and we read what others have said about the Bible or we hear others uh, speaking about the Bible, that we're still continuing to put that under the Bible and, and look at those words and think about how it fits together. Everything still needs to sit under the Bible, but I don't think that that's the big battle so much that we're facing, more a battle between uh, reason and the Bible or our experience in the Bible. As I said, these things are significant and right elements in our understanding, but we need to be careful about letting them be controlling factors. One such example is in the wider Anglican Church. Anglican Church around the world, think kind of Anglican Communion. Uh, many Anglican churches or, or church, churches associated with the Church of England have deviated from having the Bible as their source of authority, their controlling authority. They've crossed the line in a sense and are now, and are using reason as the basis which then they uh, submit the Bible to. Uh, for instance, there's, a, there's been a pushback about miracles and that, well, the miracles in the Scriptures, we know miracles don't really happen and so kind of reasoning away from the miracles that we see in the Bible. Uh, or uh, seeing the teaching of the Bible as not fitting with society around us and, and the various re human reason that's associated with uh, the way that we think about ourselves now and thinking, well, okay, the Bible uh, must be wrong, we need to change, we need to change what the Bible is saying to make it more palatable to what our reason says is right these days. That's one of the things that we see in the Anglican Church in particular. 
uh, I think as well, uh, the, the battle between what God says and how we experience life is a very tempting one. Uh, this is the, the, more than ever, we have an emphasis on our feelings, on life experiences. Uh, and things go up and down with those experiences. And we can, uh, some churches can emphasize an expression of experiencing God's presence, which can become the most important thing that we're looking for in the Christian life rather than hearing God speak through His Scriptures and responding to Him in all of our lives. And there's a couple of other uh, ex- aspects of uh, Scripture that we're going to look at briefly, uh, which is the sufficiency of Scripture and the clarity of Scripture. Uh, we're in Galatians at the moment. Let's go back uh, to 2 Timothy. Come with me back to 2 Timothy. You go past uh, Colossians, Thessalonians... And you get to 1 Timothy. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll just read verse 15. Paul's talking to Timothy about how from infancy he's known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures have are able to make you wise for salvation, to bring salvation. Everything we need to grasp the message of salvation is here. We've got it. We've got it given to us. Peter says over in 2 Peter that everything we need for life and godliness, God has given us through our knowledge of Him who called us, through our knowledge of God that comes in the Scriptures. Everything we need, God has given us. We're not missing some key bit of information that we need one or another person to unlock for us, but we've all got it right here. Reflecting on this a little, I think sometimes we can kind of see the Bible as God's kind of general word, uh, you know, God's general word to us and think, you know, it'd be really nice if I had some kind of specific word for me. What is, you know, is a general word, but, but what does God want me to do? How am I supposed to live following God? Have you found yourself kind of seeking for that or wishing for that sometimes? Well, when it comes to our understanding of the Scriptures, actually, God's already given us everything we need, everything for life and doctrine. He's given us the full and final revelation of Himself in Jesus and we have access to that in the Scriptures. In fact, if there was any other word or testimony or thing that we, we, you know, we heard in a dream or that we thought, yeah, God's really telling me this, then actually what we need to do is not, okay, well, off we go and follow that, but submit it to the Scriptures. This is the rule. This is the, the thing that we measure all other things by. God has given us everything we need in the Scriptures. And when it comes to clarity as well, the, the Scriptures God has given in order to communicate with us. They're not a closed book with a lock kind of over it, but it's an open word through which God sends out His Gospel. And so as we understand the clarity of the Scriptures and this uh, aspect of the doctrine of Scripture, clarity doesn't mean that every passage will, will be equally easy to understand or even that understanding the Bible is necessarily always straightforward. 
But what it does mean is this, that understanding the Bible is available for ordinary people using ordinary means, study, all kinds of things, guided by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. It's not for a select few to read and understand, but for all of God's people. Indeed, with the authority of it being God's Word, what a, what a privilege that this is really the case. In one sense, the only difference you might say, the difference is between one person and another in their, in their depth of insight in the Scriptures could be to do with how much time they've been able to give to the study of the Scriptures. The Reformers, they fought for the priority of the Scriptures, being the authority of God's Word to us. Because of this, they translated the Scriptures from what I read to you earlier to this, that we might have access to it. They put it into our hands, that they were the start of the process that gave us our Bibles. What a privilege. How are we going with continuing to receive it? to read it, to, to meditate on it, having it dwell in us richly, letting it be our authority. Men and women died that we might have this. Let's urge and encourage one another and remind one another those words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And let it be our authority as we live under Him. Amen.